0: whom do you follow? Our sermon text this morning is drawn from Luke chapter 9 verses 51 through 60 truth. Let us pray. God our helper by your Holy Spirit open our minds and lead us into your truth for the sake and the kingdom of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well how many of you this morning have Twitter accounts? Oh, none of you. Oh, two of you. Well, let me explain to you then what Twitter is. Twitter is all about influence. What do you do on Twitter? You follow people. You follow people. And currently, the person with the most followers in the world on Twitter is, do you know it? Barack Obama. He has 132 million followers, followed by Justin Bieber, Katy Perry, and Rihanna. Now, that is kind of scary, isn't it? A lot of people care to follow what these people think and say. But following celebrities on Twitter is easy stuff. Today's text implies some very tough questions for those of us who call ourselves Christians. Why do we follow Jesus? Do we follow him because we think our life will be better? Do we follow him to avoid the negative consequences of not following him? Do we follow Jesus because we want to be on the winning side of an argument? Do we follow Jesus half-heartedly? Do we follow him only when it's convenient to follow him? Are there things that we secretly, or maybe even just subconsciously, think are more important than following Jesus? Maybe it's honor and respect, or our spouses, or children, or mortgages, or maybe even football, These are difficult questions to answer with complete honesty, aren't they? And yet, Luke chapter nine, verses 51 through 52 challenge us to answer these two basic questions. Number one, are we following Jesus for the wrong reasons? Or number two, are we making excuses for not following Jesus at all? Because the call that truly frees us is follow Jesus. King's Cross Church uses the Revised Common Lectionary. I don't know if all of you are familiar with it or not, but if you look on the back of your bulletin there, one of the announcements tells you that the readings that, uh, that uh, Mr. Vermont read this morning and the one that I'm preaching from are from the Revised Common Lectionary. And so let me tell you a little bit about that just in case you don't know what that is. We use it back in Santa Clarita as well. The Revised Common Lectionary is a cyclical Bible reading plan that was developed by a group of Catholics, Lutherans, Anglicans, Presbyterians, and Methodists, and it's basically used all over the world today. And these readings are prescribed each Sunday. A passage from the Old Testament, or Acts during uh, Pentecost, and so you'll notice we read from 2 Kings. A passage from one of the Psalms, which we didn't read from, but what did we do? We sang it. We sang the psalm this morning. And then you have one of the epistles. That's why we read from Galatians. And then finally, a passage from one of the four gospels, which is where we get our chapter 9 of Luke this morning. So the lectionary runs in three-year cycles. And the gospel readings in the first year, or year A, are from Matthew. The ones from year B, or the second year, are from Mark. And the ones from year C, the third year, are from Luke. Luke. And then John is woven out through all of those three years as you go through these three-year cycles, okay? So what this means is that this very morning, all around the world, millions of Christians are hearing the same passages of Scripture, both read and preached on, and being applied to their lives. Think about that. We're joining in. God is bringing us together. He's uniting his church as we think about and meditate and hear the word of God We see that maybe the prayer of Jesus is being answered that as he and the Father are one, the church might be one. And since we're currently in year three, year C, Pastor Craw has likely been preaching largely from the Gospel of Luke this year. But it would still be wise for us maybe to kinda zoom out and look at the book of Luke as a whole for a second before we come back in to our text this morning to make sure that we're all understanding where we are in this story. So throughout his Gospel, Luke highlights the topsy turvy nature of the kingdom of God, right? Everything that is up is down. Everything that is outside is in. Everything that is high is brought low. Everything that's low is brought high. Luke presents Jesus as the one who will bring salvation not primarily to the powerful, but to the poor, the oppressed. His gospel is not primarily to those with sight, but to the blind. It's a message of freedom to those who are captive, to the slaves. It's a kingdom where the first are last and the last are first. It's a kingdom for which first and foremost, children are fit. Children are at the top. It's a kingdom whose victory ironically comes first through humiliation and then comes the exaltation. And we find out throughout the Gospel of Luke that just as Jesus' mission involved obedience to the will of his Father, no matter what the cost, so it's going to be for the followers of Jesus as well. And Luke tells his story of Jesus essentially in three acts, okay? They take place in three different locations. The first location is Jesus throughout Galilee. The second is Jesus as he travels on his way to Jerusalem. And the third act is Jesus actually in Jerusalem. So chapters one through nine present us with the introduction of Jesus, his divine mission and salvation, his itinerant, kids, do you know what itinerant means? It's just a fancy word for traveling. It means he traveled around Galilee. And then at the end of chapter nine, as we'll see today, Jesus sets his face toward Jerusalem, knowing that Jerusalem is the place where Jesus will accomplish the salvation of the world. So chapters 9 then through 19 trace Jesus' travels toward Jerusalem. He's ministering and teaching about the kingdom as he goes. And then we have the third and final climactic act, which is recorded in chapters 20 through 24, and it takes place in the actual city of Jerusalem, where Jesus will be crucified, buried, raised, and finally he will ascend to the right hand of the Father for the sake and for the salvation of the world. So one more time. The act one is Jesus in Galilee. Act two is Jesus going toward Jerusalem. Act three is Jesus in Jerusalem. Okay, so now we've got kind of an overall map of the book of Luke, let's zoom in to our particular text today, which happens to be the opening verses of that second act, Jesus' journey toward Jerusalem. And as we dive into this text, remember what I said. We're faced with two important questions regarding following Jesus. Are we following Jesus for the wrong reasons? And are we making excuses to not follow Jesus? First, are we following Jesus for the wrong reasons? Let's read together verses 51 through 53. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face toward Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him, who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him, because his face was set toward Jerusalem." So the time is drawing near, Luke tells us in verse 51. That is, the time is coming for him to be raised on the cross and then raised from the grave and then finally raised to the right hand of the Father. And although he will be raised in glory, notice first, he's gonna be raised in humiliation. And so he obediently faces that which he must face, Jerusalem, verse 52 tells us that Jesus sends messengers that word in Greek by the way is angeloi angels just means messengers could be angelic or other uh, could be spiritual or otherwise but he's sending these messengers to go and prepare the way probably doing logistical things like coming into town and saying hey Jesus of Nazareth he's coming soon you've probably heard of him he's going to want to preach and teach to you guys and we're going to need some food and a place to stay for the evening no problem except here in verse 53 there is a problem isn't there did you notice that? Verse 53 But the people did not receive him because he set his face toward Jerusalem. Have you ever read that verse before and been a little confused why the Samaritans would reject Jesus simply because he was on his way to Jerusalem? What's going on here? Well, Samaritans consider themselves to be the people of God, although there's very little evidence that they had any Jewish blood running through their veins. But they followed a version of the Pentateuch, that's the first five books of the Old Testament. They had messianic expectations, they were waiting a Messiah. But one thing that they rejected wholeheartedly, completely, was the idea that Yahweh would still have something to do with that corrupt city of Jerusalem and its festivals. That was out of the question. And so, when they found out that Jesus was headed for that corrupt city, for Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets, They refused Jesus and his followers. And it's here in the next verses, verses 54 through 56, that we encounter the first of two examples of following Jesus for the wrong reasons. Let's look at those verses, 54 through 56. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. And they went on to another village. Isn't it a bit surprising at first that Jesus didn't say at least, well, your hearts are in the right places. You're kind of missing my point. But Jesus doesn't do that, not even close, look. He's angry, right? He rebukes them. He says the opposite. He says, your heart is in the wrong place. But how can this be? The disciples must be thinking. Whoever is against Jesus is an enemy, right? When I was in high school, I loved, as my parents are here this morning, they can attest to, to debate and argue. Anyone, anywhere, anytime. I was not afraid to take on any atheist, or universalist, or Mormon, or whatever in a theological fight. And I self-righteously saw myself as a warrior of Jesus. I was right, and I was upholding the truth, and I wanted to destroy the enemies for the sake of the kingdom. But at the end of the argument, no matter how well or how poorly I had fought, my opponents were left further, not closer to the truth. Because I cared more about winning an argument than about winning the lost. I was happy to call judgment, fire judgment down from heaven. And that's what James and John, the sons of thunder, are doing here. They wanted to call down Curses upon those who Were to be the recipients of the good news Of the forgiveness and grace That Jesus had and they Were faced with this question Are you following Jesus for the wrong Reasons are you Following him so that you can be on the Winning side hoping that The others will lose it's a zero Sum game and people are our enemies Do you hate those For whom Jesus came Maybe you should be praying for them Maybe you should be saying like Jesus would say, Father, forgive them. Next, we come to our second example of someone who is following Jesus for the wrong reason. Let's look at verses 57 through 58. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head why does jesus say this to him it seems like this man is making a good profession of faith that he wants to be a disciple and follow jesus wherever he goes but notice jesus's response gives away the intentions jesus knew the intentions of his heart he has likely seen the miracles that jesus has performed He's seen sick people made completely well. He's seen blind people completely restored miraculous things. He's seen over 5,000 people being fed by just five loaves and two fish. And he wants to be a part of this big, influential, world-changing, messianic kingdom of winners. Do you find yourself falling into that temptation ever? I know I do. I want to follow Jesus because he'll make life better easier, happier. We want the joy without the sorrow. We want the safe morning without the terrible night terrors. We want Jesus' easy yoke without having to take up our own cross to follow him. We want the eternal weight of glory without the light and momentary affliction of today. And if we fall into the temptation to believe that following Jesus is all sunshine and lollipops and rainbows, Jesus quickly reminds us that foxes and birds have homes, but the Son of Man, the King of Kings, has nowhere to lay his head. And so, so it may be for his followers, so it may be for you and for me. Will you follow Jesus even if it means you have nowhere to lay your head? So thus far, we've seen our text ask us twice if we're following Jesus for the right or wrong reasons. Next, our text will ask us if we're really following Jesus or are we really just making excuses? Are we making excuses for not following Jesus? Let's read verses 59 through 60. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you go and proclaim the kingdom of God Here Jesus reveals the first of two excuses for not following Jesus I mean we can imagine being this in this poor person's position, can't you? He wants to follow Jesus, but his dad just died He has just a few really important things to do before he follows Jesus and we want to ask Jesus, is this man's request so unreasonable? It seems like he has a perfectly good reason to delay in following. But again here, Jesus' answer suggests something to us. That this man is not offering a reason. He's offering an excuse. An excuse. I mean, think about this. If this man's father is actually dead and not yet buried, why on the earth is he here in front of Jesus at all? He should be at home making those preparations, those arrangements, preparing the body and whatnot. In fact, if his dad is dead and he's preparing the body, he's going to have to go outside the camp for a time, according to Levitical law, because he's unclean. So he should be nowhere around here. Therefore, it is most likely that what this man is really saying is, my dad's not well. He's probably going to die soon. It's not a good time. I want to follow you, but I just have to wait for a better time. Once my father is dead and I've properly buried him, then I promise I'll follow you all the way. Have you ever been tempted by this reasoning? I'm going to follow Jesus no matter what. No questions asked once we finally get settled. Once I retire. Once my kids are out of college. Once the economy settles down. Once all of this craziness goes away. Things are just too crazy right now. I don't have time right this second to get real serious. But pretty soon, things will be less hectic. And then, then I'll follow. To this, Jesus says, if you're waiting for the perfect time, it's never going to come. Now. Right now is the time to follow Jesus. Make the secondary things secondary and follow me. Get your priorities straight. It's 1108, it's time to follow Jesus now. The second bad excuse for not following Jesus comes in verses 61 through 62, let's read those. Yet another said, I will follow you Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Again, it kind of seems that Jesus is being just a little too harsh, isn't he? He just wants to go home and say goodbye one last time to his family, to his loved ones that he never, may never see again. But you can almost hear Jesus under his breath saying, if you go, you ain't coming back. Jesus knows that if this guy goes back home, even with the intention of following, he'll walk through that door He'll see all his loved ones. He'll smell the familiar smell of his favorite dinner. He'll remember all the comforts of his life, sit down in front of his 85-inch or 95-inch television with the A.C. cranked, he'll crack open an ice-cold beer and come to his senses, right? He ain't coming back. I remember shopping for a used vehicle once. I found a truck that I really wanted, but I didn't really feel totally convinced that it was the right price or that it was the right time to purchase it. And the salesman and I went around and around for hours, and he almost got me to sign. But I kept telling him I just wanted to go home, I wanted to run some numbers, I wanted to make sure it was the right choice, and he just would fight me all the more, harder and harder to get it right now, you can't get this deal ever again. And I finally asked him why he cared so much that I sign right now. And he turned to me and he said something striking. He said, honestly, statistics tell me that if you walk out that door, there's a 95% chance you're not coming back. And it was true. (laughs) I didn't come back. I came to my senses. Now, don't think that I'm saying Jesus is like a used car salesman. Not that there's anything wrong with being a used car salesman. And I'm not saying that following Jesus is like buying a truck, but the same psychology is in play. There is a choice before you, and you must make the choice now. If you want to go back and tie up some loose ends before you move on, you, chances are you're going to find the same old excuses that you had before to not go through with it. To not follow Jesus as you ought. Jesus tells the man to make the choice and to stick to it. Don't look back. Follow Jesus. Committed 100%. Like that gospel song, no turning back. No turning back. Because the call that frees us is follow Jesus, Giuseppe Garibaldi, the great Italian military hero from the 19th century, raised an incredibly committed volunteer army. His appeal for recruits was rather unique, as these are the terms that he offered. Listen, I offer you neither pay, nor quarters, nor provisions. I offer hunger, thirst, forced marches, battle, and death. Let him who loves his country with his heart and not with his lips only follow me. Garibaldi, like Jesus, told his followers that the cost of following him would be great, but unlike Jesus, he had little to offer his followers in return. If we forsake the world, if we follow Jesus, we will gain Everything in the end. Jesus says in Luke chapter nine, verses 23 through 25, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses and forfeits himself? Why do you follow Jesus? Let's not make excuses. Let's not delay. Let's follow Jesus. Let's follow him to win brothers and sisters, not to win arguments. Let's follow Jesus because he is the way and the truth and the life. And because following him in his sufferings prepares us for the eternal weight of glory that lies ahead. Brethren, the call that truly frees us is follow Jesus. Amen. Let us pray. Grant us, Lord God, the vision of your kingdom, forgiveness and new life, and the stirring of your spirit, so that we may share your vision, proclaim your love, and change this world in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.